Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is StarTalk Sports Edition. Sports in the coronaverse. And I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, as I usually am, always am. And I got with me my co-host, Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. All right. You, uh, Gary is a Brit, which his accent will reveal, and a former professional soccer player. Uh, Gary, are you, do I have to say former? Like the once you're president, they always call you president. But no, it's former. <laughs> it's former. Otherwise, people are looking at me going, he's not playing. Look at here. This okay. is a falling off while he's sat there. He's uh, a player. And we got uh, Chuck Nice. Chuck. Hey, hey, Neil. How are you? All right. Uh, By the way, Chuck- Gary, Gary is not British. Uh, Gary is from central New Jersey. So don't let, <laughs> don't let him fool you. Don't let him fool you. Wait. <laughs> He's not from Staten Island. <laughs> that, that would be even better. <laughs> so uh, what we're talking about today uh, orbits, in this segment, orbits the expertise of our special guest, Tobias. I think we call you Toby. And I want to get the pronunciation of your last name, Moskowitz. Moskowitz, perfect. Yep. Moskowitz, to- Toby Moskowitz. And I got a little mini bio on you here. Professor of Economics and Finance at Yale University. Oh, so you're slumming it, huh, Toby? (laughs) (laughs) You're a partner in AQR Capital Management, which stands for what? Applied Quantitative Research. Very exciting title. I know, right? That's that's, (laughs) okay. Uh, uh, No wonder you abbreviated it. (laughs) So (laughs) you're co-author of the book Scorecasting, the hidden influences behind how sports are played and games are won. Ooh, interesting. Mm. Mm. 
Ooh. Wait, does Yale know that you're just doing sports <laughs> as a professor yeah. of economics? You know, as you know, once you get tenure, you can do whatever the hell you want. So oh. that, you know, that's the beauty of it. So You're like a Supreme Court judge. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. For life. That's it's right. just like, I'm in for life. <laughs> so let me ask, uh, uh, you, you have this sort of specialty, uh, economics and sports. Uh, what percent of sports revenue traditionally comes from tickets at a stadium versus TV versus sponsor, you know, how, how does that pie divide up? And how is that being affected now in the coronaverse? Well, um, in fact, if you, you break down most sports teams' revenue into, like you said, TV, broadcasting, advertising, as well as game day, which is not just ticket sales, but also concessions, parking, everything else, most of it's coming from TV and advertising. It varies by sport. Football, basketball, mostly TV and advertising. Hockey, a little less so, a lot of revenue. But, you know, the coronavirus has crippled that. The revenue has gone way, way down. So another problem is <laughs> there's certain TV shows that thrive in reruns, right? <laughs> in fact, Star, right. Um, Star Trek was dead and buried and was resurrected only in the secondary marketplace where people embrace reruns for a next generation. Rerun sports games don't. At least they, they, they haven't in the past, right? Now that we have, that's the only option, what you're seeing is a lot of classic games. Well, look, the most watched series on TV is, you know, The Last Dance with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. People are desperate for, for any sport, sort of sports uh, content. It'd be interesting to see what happens when we're finally back to live games, how that changes. People are going to still prefer live games, but there still might be a market for some of these old old sports games. Too. So you're telling me ESPN knew the virus was coming. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they got this series ready for it. No, if they knew that, there are a lot of better things you could do, like, you know, uh, trade in the stock market. But uh, <laughs> isn't, the, it, uh, isn't it funny, though? But, uh, it's, it's, it is coincidental, but Michael Jordan actually was afraid that LeBron James was eclipsing him as a figure with younger people. And he really was like, oh, okay, so go ahead and put it out. But because he resisted for some reason, is that, is that correct? I've heard that story as well. I think yeah. That. And, it, and it is true. I mean, you know, my, my 17-year-old and my 14-year-old, I always talk about Jordan because I was a Bulls fan. And they think, yeah, 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 how great was he? They're now watching old games and saying, that guy was, that guy was really yeah. good. <laughs> so they're getting an appreciation for him, which I think well, is nice. What a great conversation. Hey, Dad, have you heard of this guy, Michael Jordan? He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but the whole, the whole of media has basically spun 180 because they have nothing to look forward to. They have to look backwards. Every, the presence on pause, everything's behind them. I mean, I, I've had games rerun on TV back in the UK. I did a, a big interview with The Athletic just this weekend in the middle of May. The Guardian newspaper in the UK, The Independent, everybody wants to come and knock on your door if you've got some historic point of reference. And I think that's going to be interesting whether we still retain that lens to be behind us and how quickly and how permanently it goes and sets itself to the forward aspect. Toby, how much, have, how much has sports lost in the last three months? 
So in the last three months, it's been it's approaching now close to four billion dollars. The estimate is it will be closer to twelve billion if you sort of encompass all of sports, and that's assuming that the NFL and college football actually have a full season. Wow. Um, if that doesn't happen, you're going to double those figures. They're yeah. going to be in the in the twenty twenty four billion range. Now, do those figures include the ancillary uh, income from? Um, concessions from uh, businesses surrounding. Now, we've seen a new phenomena in recent years where uh, municipalities create parks surrounding their sports arenas so that people have a reason to go to that area when there's not a game. But now those areas are suffering like crazy because there are no games. Do they take that into account as well? So that's a great question. Uh, those numbers that I just quoted you do not. They're, they're conservative. They take the following into account. They take into account the concessions, the parking, all that, all the staff that needs to be supported at the stadium. They don't take into account the lost hotel revenue, as right. you point out, near the stadiums. The economic impact. Business. Yeah. So it's going to be much, much bigger than that. Um, wow. And, and you know, that, that's, that's going to be a real hit. So I don't, I don't know what that brings the number to. It's not going to double it, but, you know, add a few billion to that number for sure. Right. But Toby, if you look at me being the owner of a large sporting franchise, I've probably got several players who are draining $100 million, $200, $300 million contracts out of my bank account. I've got no incoming revenue from TV. I've got no concessions. I've got no ancillary, as, as Chuck was saying. I mean, we're seeing stadiums now have become entertainment palaces. Where's my real conflict? The fact I've got no TV income coming in and I've got massive outgoing with wages, how do I as an owner solve this problem? So I know it's a a very difficult question. First of all, the the TV revenue is coming in because these are long-term contracts, but there's an issue, which is if the games get canceled, then you didn't meet your obligation to that contract. You're going to have to give some of that money back. That's going to be a negotiation that's going to have to happen for some of these leagues, I'm guessing fairly soon. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. My guess is what you're going to end up doing is the owners are going to take a big loss. Some of the TV companies are going to take a big loss and either enter longer term contracts or defer some of those payments and compensation to later. Same on the player side. Your point about $100 million contracts, if the games are canceled, some of the leagues have what they call a force majeure clause, which is unexpected things happen you don't, and games get canceled. You don't have to pay the players. That's true in baseball. In basketball... Well, so it's not just unexpected. It's unexpected things that you can't control. That you can't control. Thank act you. Act of yes, God. That's correct. That's right. right. An act mm-hmm. of God is the way it's typically legally written. But some leagues don't have that. The NHL, for instance, doesn't have that. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Well, they're atheists, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, try and hug the jocks, Chuck. Just try and hug them. <laughs> How much but, revenue can be brought back into the equation if the teams perform in empty stadiums? So that's a great question. And, and no one really knows the answer to that question because we don't really know what the demand will be. I think, you know, let's say realistically, if you brought back, if you were able to capture all the TV revenue, that's a huge chunk. In the NFL, that would be 75%. In, in basketball, it would be 60%. It would be huge. Are you going to capture all of that? Almost certainly not, right? It's not going to be the same. But let's say you got half of that back. That would get you a, a good chunk of the way there, right? 35 40% of the way there to those revenues. So I think they're hoping for something like that. The other thing that they're going to hope to do, to go back to Gary's question, is 
renegotiate some of these big contracts and, and not necessarily not pay the players because that's, that's another issue, but maybe defer that compensation or maybe they make the players whole or even better than whole down the road if things get back to normal. I think you're going to have to come up with creative solutions. So do you think that from a public relations standpoint that the teams would benef- benefit by, I don't know, shaming some of the bigger players that have these multi-million dollar contracts? Because everybody, I mean, it's very hard to be a billionaire and cry broke. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. But it's really not about the owners. It's about the organization because you're talking about a thousand people, you know, in an organization when you, when you put everybody into the mix. All those people have to be kind of paid too. No, that's right. And in fact, just to give you an example, a typical NBA game requires about 1,900 people to staff that game, right? Most of those people are not under contract. They live, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, they're, they're really in trouble uh, at, at this point. Then on top of that, you have what, what no one's really talking about is think about all the minor leagues, right? Take baseball, for instance, right? We think about the Major League Baseball players not getting their money or the people working in those stadiums. You've got the AAA, single-A, double-A leagues. Those players don't get paid anything, and they've got to be paid by the same organization, which is losing money. So there's so many more people that are affected by this in a much bigger way, and I think your, your point is absolutely correct. It's going to be hard for people, billionaires, to cry, we need to save this money when you're going to have you know, thousands and thousands of people in these leagues out of work and you know, worrying about where, when they're going to put the next meal on the table. Toby, I mean, the reason you're a billionaire, not maybe you are, um, I'm not, but um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, we've established that. Billionaires tend to be billionaires because they're good with their money. Now, if I'm looking at hemorrhaging hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm just going to cut my ties. And it, is this now going to be a landscape where we see franchises on fire sales or just go out of existence altogether in the new landscape? Well, it'll be interesting. A lot of it depends on how long this lasts, right? You know, if this lasts over several years, that, that's a big bill to pay. If we can get back uh, to work in less than a year, a very different story. I think, first of all, most owners own sports teams not because they expect to make a lot of money on the sports teams, but because they love owning sports teams. They still want to make money, don't get me wrong. And you're right, to get to that position, they've been good at making money. But I also think they're thinking about the, I think you need to think about the long term. If you're myopic, you may cut, you know, your losses and move on. I think if you're thinking about this long term, like a guy like Mark Cuban, who said, look, I'm going to pay all my vendors. I'm going to pay the people that, that help staff the stadium and the people that work around the stadium, their livelihood depends on this because we're in this for the long term and I want them back as soon as we're back. So I think you can, you can have this long term view where you're going to expect to make money in the long term and absorb this short-term hit. And a lot of us are going through this. It's not just the sports world. Toby, what you're saying is that uh, uh, viruses are temporary, but sports is forever. Mm. (laughs) One hopes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the other thing too, though, when you think about it, the the biggest valuation of, um, I'm sorry, the biggest value in a sports franchise is not your year-over-year profit. It's the... um, it's the appreciation of the team as a whole. So, I mean, let's be honest. You, if, if you take a couple years as a hit, I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys when Jerry Jones bought it for, like, what was it? A, a $200 million or whatever. And people were like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And now it's worth, like, $2 billion or whatever. I don't know. 
So that's, I mean, that's what these guys are really in it for. It's like when I get out, that's when I get paid as the billionaire. When I say goodbye, that's, you know, that's what I'm, that's what, or when I create, sell off little pieces of the team, you know, to these little hedge fund groups, I make, I mean, you make so much money. See, Toby, as an economist, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always seen the the most valuable asset of any sporting franchise is not necess- is not the playing staff. It's the fans, the people who will shell out their money day in, day out, buy the tickets, buy the merch, buy the cable package, everything that goes with it. I mean, if, if there's not a way to keep those in as part of the family, this fabric will just unravel. Well, I agree, and I and I think that's why the owners are going to be very cautious here, right? Uh, in terms of what they do, the the optics are very important. My favorite example of this, Gary, is is my favorite team, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I was a lifelong fan growing up in the in the seventies and eighties. They were terrible, right? It was one of the worst teams, yet consistently one of the top three most valued franchises. Why? It was a great experience there, and it was the love of just being a Cubs fan and watching them underperform year after year. They eventually got good, but that fan base was was always there. And I think right now, owners, rec- certainly the leagues recognize this, right? It's a huge part of the value of these franchises in the leagues, and they want to be careful. You don't want to come off saying, you know, that the billionaires are worried about losing a few hundred million. You want to make sure you take care of everybody because that's that's ultimately where the value is. I think that's and, right. And just, and just to be clear, the White Sox perform in the same city as the Chicago Cubs, and did not have the beloved legacy that the Chicago Cubs did. Yes, my favorite statistic on this that we wrote about in our book, Scorecasting, was the year after the White Sox won the World Series, they still had less attendance than the Cubs who finished last that <laughs> There it is. Same there size stadium. <laughs> we got to start to wrap up this segment. I have, a, I have a more subtle question for you, just regarding performance, because in your book, you analyze non-obvious forces that operate on sports outcome. I wonder, if you ever have a team playing in an empty stadium, what does that do to the home team advantage? So this is a question that I've spent a great deal of time on and done some research. So we looked at this in our book and looked at all the usual, you know, scenarios for why people think there is a, first of all, there is a home field advantage. It exists in every sport. It's different across sports. Our main finding was the biggest factor was the influence on the referees. And before I get into you know, all the details of this, and I know we're, we don't have a ton of time, it's a subconscious choice of, of, on the referees, which is I don't think the referees are biased towards the home team. They want to be impartial. They want to do the right thing. But their perception gets influenced by 50,000 or 20,000 screaming fans. And what we find in the data... And, and the and and the fact that you got to get through the parking lot to get to your car. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I actually think that's a minor part of it. I, I I actually believe what happens, and we see this in the data, is when there's a close call and the referee is legitimately unsure of whether it should go one way or the other. They're influenced by the fact that twenty thousand fans are quite sure which way it should go. I right. see this in psychology all the time. So that's what we find is the biggest factor. Other things that people talk about, travel, fatigue, and, and you know, players playing better in front of the crowd, they do, but so does your opponent, by the way. Uh, right. Being booed is almost as fun as being cheered Absolutely. for a lot of these athletes. So that doesn't seem to be a big factor. It's not the only factor, but it's the, it's the biggest factor that we found. So we'll see what happens with all these games potentially playing in front of no fans. 
Although that did happen once before in Italy in 2007. This was in soccer. Gary probably knows this. Mm -hmm. uh, 21 matches in the Italian Serie A were played without fans. The home field advantage dropped by 80%. So uh, we'll see if that actually happens this time around. Wow. So you have real good data. Yeah. Nice data. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice wow, experiment. Wow. Yeah. Guys, we got to take a quick break. And Toby, you know, normally we like release you at this point, but there's so many questions we still have for you. We have to bring on another guest. Can you come back in our third segment and we can pick this up? I'd be happy to. Yeah. All right, let's let's do that. All right. Right now we'll take our first break from Star Talk Sports Edition. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to explore the psychological state of athletes in the coronavirus when we return. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition in the Coronaverse. This time we're focusing on athletes' mental health. And we have to bring in, you know, a mental health professional in this regard because Chuck and Gary are are, are not helpful in that regard. Well, we're helpful if you want to know what um, crazy looks like. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Heather Berlin, uh, you're a friend of Star Talk. Thanks for coming on for this. You are a neuroscientist and a, a mental health professional with a practice, mm -hmm. and uh, you're based at uh, Mount Sinai Medical Center in the mm -hmm. Upper East Side of Manhattan. So, welcome back to Star Talk. And and Gary and Chuck have got questions for you. We do. Um, hi, Heather. Uh, let's hi let's jump straight in here. You take away a hyper motivated, driven athlete and you take away their reason to be i.e through this quarantine how on earth is that going to affect their mental well-being 
Right. I mean, in many ways, it's the same as all of us, right? We're taken out of our, our jobs, the things that motivate us on a daily basis. But I think for athletes in particular, because they are so used to regimen and routine and, you know, practice, and especially if it's a competitive sport, you know, working with their teammates. So that's suddenly taken away. It can actually lead to more mental health issues, depression, you know, that feeling of isolation, the lack of motivation, because in a way you can kind of get addicted to that adrenaline rush, right? The cortisol that is released, you know, in the competition. And it might even lead to more aggressive behaviors at home, right? Because a lot of times with sports is a way to get out aggression, you know, a lot of like high testosterone and you can get it out in a, in a healthy way. But if you don't have that outlet, it might lead to more aggressive behavior in less productive ways. Heather, isn't it true that domestic violence reports have gone up during the coronavirus? Yes. Even if crime outside of the home has gone down. That's a fascinating... And they're obvious and they're correlated. I mean, there's, you know, we call it externalizing behavior. That is like aggressive behavior. It's higher in men, but women also have aggression, both physical and verbal. But if you can't release it in the outside world, where else is there to release it? And then unfortunately, those around you become the recipients of that aggressive behavior. So it makes sense that, you know, domestic violence is up. But Heather, following up on Gary's question, there are some Mm -hmm. athletes where they have a singular point of existence this year, for example, in the Olympics. And Mm -hmm. uh, we're recording this mid-May right now, and uh, probably the Olympics, I don't know if they'll hold it with no audience or if it's postponed, but let's just say I've trained four years to be in the Olympics, and now it's gone. So where does that put me mentally? So first of all, I mean, the disappointment Um, something you've been working for for so many years is suddenly taken away. Maybe this was your last chance. You know, maybe you're at the upper edge of your athletic ability and, you know, four years from now, you won't be as, as good, right? So having to deal with those psychological issues is a major concern for athletes who I would actually recommend that they get they have at least available mental health professionals to help them deal with that disappointment. There's no easy answer to it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bummer that, that, that this might happen. And not only to these people at the top, but, you know, what about like, you know, the college football team, the, the high school football team? You know, this was your chance to be on the varsity team and this was your big moment and now it's gone. A lot of people are going to be dealing with issues like that. We've switched that the other way around. If I'm going into this quarantine on a slump, is there a way that I can, through talking to people like you, bring myself out of it and reemerge on a more upward mobile uh, scale here? Yeah, some people are taking this opportunity, this kind of like we're on pause to actually work on themselves, you know, to, to go into therapy. They have the time, they're off that kind of treadmill and to emerge perhaps in a better place mentally when they come out of it. So it does work in both directions. You know, some people are getting worse, but some people are taking the opportunity to work on themselves to, to emerge better. Sounds to me like uh, the pandemic is good for your business. <laughs> Just saying, this is a little self-serving, Heather. Yeah, it is a, a little bit, right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times, good times. Good times. <laughs> I, I just want to say that uh, I, I've been working my, uh, on my own uh, physique and I got my six pack abs 
they're just ready to be seen. They just happen to be under three inches of fat. That's all. Right, right, right. Yeah. But they're there. <laughs> right. And at the same time, uh, I am working on a little Corona baby. That's my stomach. Whoa! <laughs> oh, what does it do, Chuck? Oh, I got pregnant with a Corona baby. That's all. My, mm. I've gained, I have gained 11 pounds. Ooh, you got a oh, Corona wow. belly, baby. I, I have the solution to that. Throw the scales away. <laughs> uh, I like the way you think, Gary. Yeah, I, know. I like the I way know. you it's think. A, it's a win-win situation. There, Chuck. <laughs> oh, that's it. So if quarantine's not enough to sort of start detonating the, the landmines in your head, Heather, um, as an athlete in, say, a contact sport, it might be basketball, it might be NFL, it might be soccer, I've got to think about, I've got to go back into an area where I have to closely mark an opponent, tackle a running back, have this proximity. How am I getting over this particular, because I've got voices in my ears, these people I'm sharing my home with telling me, you can't go back, it's dangerous. How is that all going to sort itself out and become a nice tranquil ocean? Mm. So there are going to be individual differences in terms of how anxious people are to recontact others, right? Some people, they it's, it's not going to be a much of a problem. For others, they will have to overcome that anxiety. And part of it is going to be measures in place that make them feel safe. So I imagine that before contact sports begin, they're going to have every player be tested at least, I would say, twice a week to be safe, right? Easily. And yeah, I mean, so that will be some measure that will give them a feeling of at least psychological security, but it will be an issue to have to overcome. And, you know, once that first case shows up again, which, you know, chances whole, are it will. It's yeah, going to be a whole then, new game, whole new ball game. Yeah, and they might, and listen, I mean, when they roll out sports, maybe they're, the contact sports are going to be the last things to come back. You know, it's yeah. going to be tennis, tennis and then maybe, you know, baseball where they, golf, right. Where they disinfect the bats and the balls and the clubs, you know, um, and then little by little, if that goes well, then, you know, maybe contact sports down the road. So on that same note, Heather, let's take this a step further. So we've we've been through this before, believe it or not. Uh, during the AIDS pandemic, AIDS was also, you know, global yeah. and it's a virus. And what um, happened in sports was that they took precautions. If someone got cut, you know, you had to come out of the game. There were all these different things, measures that we took to protect against the transmission of HIV, okay, which was a bodily fluids transmission. Now, now, here's the difference, though. I didn't have to worry about transmitting it to my family. So it was me who put yeah. myself at risk when I went out on that field. If I got cut and I got and I contracted this, okay, which was highly unlikely, but still precautions were made. This is, I mean, the most infectious thing we've seen in God knows how long. Yeah. And the most important part is you could be asymptomatic. If I get it that day, I could come home that day and transmit it to my family. What's that do to your head while you're out on the field? Right. You know, part of it. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these players had to wear masks while they were playing to decrease infection rate. I don't know what that would do to the sport either, but to put in extra protective gear. I mean, we, we were, they wear helmets to protect their heads from injury. 
why wouldn't they wear a mask to protect other people? Because especially when you're running and you know you're releasing a lot more air and there's it can spread much e- more easily. Masks might be a new protective equipment for certain sports, but that psychological impact it will be significant for sure. People will be thinking about this. It'll I mean, be a physiological impact as well, Heather, because yeah. I've played with elite athletes who are asthmatic, mm. right? Mm. And now you're sticking a mask over them. They're conscious enough about their breathing ability and inability. And if they're going to have an attack, they have inhalers and everything else. You add that layer on a, a, a paranoid <laughs> person with a, an underlying ailment. Mm-hmm. And the claustrophobia. Much. Right. Yeah. So, and what about this though, Gary? Um, if does does wearing a mask? I know just wearing one when I go to the supermarket, yeah, makes it more difficult for me to breathe. Will that actually lower performance because Probably. you're not getting as much oxygen? You're breathing through something. There are masks, and I've seen I've seen NFL players wear them. That, if I'm not mistaken, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. They replicate the sort of oxygen intake you get at altitude. So what they can do is replicate altitude training at sea level. Uh-huh. Now, that's obviously enabling them to exercise with intensity, but not be too stressed. So if you can sort of retrofit that to not replicate altitude, but have a comfort to wear a mask and still be able to perform what will be intense athletic exercise, then that's a design that someone's going to have to come up with rapidly. By the way, all I can think of is the HBO series Watchmen, where when they're all on duty, they, they have yes. these masks yeah. that come yes. up above, above their nose, and they form a community of a prophetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what a great show. And how, <laughs> by the way, by the way, you're right, prophetic, where now everybody walks around in a mask. Right. Now we're all doing the same thing. <laughs> It's, it, it, you know what? If you get that Rorschach thing going on, that's going to weird me out. So. <laughs> By the way, that's the one I want. <laughs> that's the one we all want. <laughs> so we only have Heather for a few more minutes. We've got more questions for her. Yeah. Um, all right. We've, we've talked about how athletes might react in an empty stadium. How are fans going to react? I've got to get you in and out of a stadium comfortably. I've got to give you a comfort zone you're happy to exist in, in entry, exist, and exit from this stadium. And, um, you know, social... How on earth, Heather? Please, because I've got lots of questions, but you're the only one who's close to an answer for me. Because that's an interesting problem. We're spending this time thinking about the athletes, but we have addicted fans that have Mm -hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, people need to get their sports fix. You know, um, even now, I think they're playing like reruns of previous games just so people can get that you know fix in. Hopefully, the older games they don't remember what the outcomes were, so there's still that excitement. You know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm on BBC TV on reruns back in the UK. I'm famous all over. Right, it. right, exactly. Yeah. Um, people have forgotten who wins, so it's it's a whole new game again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so there's going to be these competing factors, you know, one is, and which it is basically on a, on a larger scale too, is like wanting to go back to normal, wanting to go back to going and enjoying a game um, mixed with the anxiety of, you know, and the fear of what if I catch this, this virus. And so everybody's calibration is going to be different. For some people, the anxiety outweighs the, the pleasure. So it, it won't be 
as fun for them to go to the game anymore because this fear will supersede it, right? For others, the calculation will be different. I'm willing to take the risk because the enjoyment will be so high for me. So you're going to see a certain type of person, a subsegment of the population who are going to be going to the games. I wouldn't be surprised, even if they didn't put social distancing in place saying like, for example, only half the stadium could be filled. If they said anybody can go to a game, I bet you people would sort of self-constrain their behavior. So it'd still be a half full stadium because there's going to be many people who just don't feel comfortable going, right? So the people who do go will be a subset and then there's going to be safety measures in place to give them either real feeling of safety or some sort of psychological feeling of safety, you know, whether it be like distributing hand sanitizer, it'll have some actual physical effect, but a lot of it will be the psychological effect of feeling safer which will, again, outweigh the fear. Is sports just another kind of entertainment? If Let's say I don't go to stadiums, but I consume sports on my, you know, 82-inch television, and then there is no sports. Is, it, mm-hmm. is sports withdrawal different from, I mean, I have other options. I can watch movies. I can, you know, mm-hmm. I play video games. There are other things I can do. It's not some unique thing mm-hmm. in terms of how it distracts me. So right. what, you as a professional, would you swap something in in place of it? Or do you have, try to have them get over what they're missing? Now, once well, you get an 82-inch television, yeah. why would you do anything? <laughs> <laughs> why would you go anywhere? <laughs> I got an 82-inch TV, man. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think there are two issues there. One is just in general, what is the difference between going to a live event, whether it's Broadway or the movies or a sports event, versus watching it alone at home? And there is an added element. There's that social, that community feeling of, you know, we're all in this together. Also, people reacting next to you affect how you react, right? We tend to laugh louder in a movie theater because others around us are laughing or cry more easily. So that, you know, this is what we call social facilitation effect will be a dimension that's lost when you're just simply watching it from home. You're not all in it together. It's not a community. You're not hearing other people's reactions. So that's one element that you can't really replace. But then whether you can substitute in Another form of entertainment for sports, I don't think so. I think that there's something unique about, you know, the the type of person who is addicted to a sport, uh, let's say they love, they're following their favorite basketball team. You know, that is meaningful in itself. And if you go and put on, you know, a film instead, that's not going to give them their same hit you know, with the adrenaline and the competitiveness as the sports game would would give. I hadn't hadn't heard it articulated until just now. It's fascinating. I am more prone to cry in a movie theater watching a movie with a collective audience than I am just alone watching the film and to laugh a little louder. That's right. That's kind of weird that we do that. Mm -hmm. That's just freaky. We're social creatures, and so we we pick up cues from other people about how we're supposed to respond. Again, it's, a lot of it is it's unconscious, but that yeah, does I'm affect I don't, our behavior. I don't want that to be true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't want to believe that I'm in some yeah. flow of social energy. Fans are tribal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I know fans in different sports. That's their life. Seven days a week, re- rinse, repeat. Um, how how can they nurse themselves through this successfully? Yeah, where's where's the tribalism fit into this, Heather? Well, one thing you can do is you can enact the the same behaviors you would do if you were going to the game. So, and some people do this, you know, at home, dress up in the team jersey, you know, paint your face. Maybe you can, you know, 
<laughs> you have other people on Zoom who are also dressed up and you're all watching the game together. You know, that sense of camaraderie, you know, get one of those big pointy fingers or whatever, the foam things. And But you can collectively watch it on Zoom together and try yeah. to engage in or, or whatever video conferencing you like to use that you can simulate those experiences. Obviously, it's not the same. But even when, say, I'm doing telehealth or therapy, you know, it's obviously better to be with the, per- the person in the flesh, but you can, you can at least have something like seeing a video of someone is better than just on the phone, right? And that's yeah. better than just typing to somebody. So the more sensory elements you can add in, the more you can simulate the real experience, the better it will be for people. All right. So that, so that works. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's the, the home kit. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I, I just, I just rather watch the game by myself. I mean, I, that sounds awful. <laughs> it would be a little weird at home. The, the home kit has paint for your belly and the right. finger and the popcorn and a hot dog. You see, the thing is, I, I, all franchises, Chuck, are going to. Find new ways to get revenue because they've lost all in stadium revenue. So they're going to do deals with pizza yeah, and Grubhub, phone finger people, beers. This is going to how, how it goes I, down. I was just about to say that we're laughing, but Neil, you may have just given some sports teams a yep. really good idea. As a hey, do I get some credit? Do I get some credit? <laughs> <laughs> nah. 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 Yeah, I was going to get a share of this. And I- <laughs> we'll send you a code. We'll send you a promo code for beer. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm a Yankee fan. So if I went to the store and I say, here's the Yankee home fan kit with all those things, I might consider buying that. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right on. <laughs> well, we got to bring this segment to a close. Heather, thanks for stepping in and helping us try to make sense of this pandemic in all mm-hmm. the the facets that it has manifested. We'll be back with our next segment of Star Talk Sports Edition in the Coronaverse. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. We're talking about sports in the coronaverse. And we brought back from our first segment... Tobias Moskowitz. Toby. We can call you Toby. Yes, please do. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, You're an expert in analyzing the things that influence outcome in sports. And and as the title of your recent book indicates. Um, And let me get, could you tell me the whole title of that book? Because it's Yeah, Scorecasting, the Hidden Influences by Analysis. Games are played in sports or wine. Jeez, I can't even remember it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Got the first part, yeah. (laughs) It's been a decade. (laughs) Uh, So, no, I I think I've got it, like, officially written out here. If you you need help on this. (laughs) Uh, So, scorecasting. The hidden influences behind how sports are played 
and games are won. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and I got uh, Gary with me back in this third segment, of course, and Chuck Nice. So what we do in our third segment is we just sort of free associate and reflect mm -hmm. on the subject at hand. And uh, uh, Gary, did you have any like leftover questions yeah, that you thought you wouldn't get to in that first segment? I mean, back in the earlier part of the show, Toby brilliantly analyzed home field advantage and the fact that in an empty stadium basically evaporates to nothing or about 20%. And then we spoke with, with Heather Berlin about empty stadiums and the fact that it weirds you out. And then there's this, I think it's like an observer effect. I could do something brilliant, like a Michael Jordan slam dunk or a, a Lionel Messi dribble and a run. And yet I have no, I have no energy seeping from the arena towards me. And it, it's a weird, it, I mean, economically, as an, as an athlete, I'm almost bankrupt at that point because I feed off of the applause. And it must then translate itself, Toby, through a team. I mean, and then goes through the fans, goes through the franchise. It, it's a weird, weird scenario. Wait, wait, so, wait, so Gary, I think the question is even bigger than that, if we're going to right. slam Toby with this. So, so... I don't know that anyone, let's look at track and field, for example. I don't know that, it's not a team sport, of course, but it's, it, it, it relates to my point. I don't know anyone who has set a world record running by themselves, right? The, 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 the fact that there is competition there is a, propellant, a propelling force for, for a competitive person who's participating. Yeah. And so now, if in an empty stadium, no one is really performing as high as they would have, will the whole, will all the sports just look um, depressed in some way or under-energized compared to what it would otherwise be? I think, my, I think it's a great question. I think the answer, if I had to guess, the answer is probably yes, that you will see a more muted effect. I mean, it just stands to reason that any of us, we're all human, we love to be cheered. Some of us love to be booed, um, but we love to be cheered most of all. Uh, but we like we like attention, and 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 we love competition, right? So I think your your point is right. Anybody who's run at any level or competed at any level, you know that someone who pushes you is going to cause you to perform better. So the one big question is: Will the quality of the games we watch go down? There's a little bit of this. I mean, if you've ever watched an exhibition tennis match, right, where it doesn't count. Uh, they take off a few points, right? They they sort of slap the ball around a little. They're still great players. It's fun to watch, but it's not the same as a Wimbledon final in front of a full stadium. This has so been the problem. Be, this this has been the problem with the Pro Bowl. It's been a perennial problem. Yes. The Pro Bowl, the, the game doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. And we had a little bit of that problem with the baseball All Star Game, and they finally put in the rule like the winning league gets home field advantage it's for the home field advantage it can matter but yeah, i'm saying home, yeah. home field advantage for your league in the in the in the world football, series in, in the world yeah, series yeah. So, so there's there you got something in the game you know some money in the game i mean some uh what's the term how does the term go skin, skin in the game, skin in the yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> so you so they made it so that you got some skin in the game by doing so well, and, and I think, look, I, I, I think that's right. I think we can solve the problem of making it count, right? We can have the NBA playoffs and no, with no fans. Those players are still going to want to win a championship. Yeah. But, you know, performing in front of a crowd is a whole other issue. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, with, there's also the, the fan experience, right? Watching sports. So sometimes, you know, my, my, 
my family will tell me, oh, can you mute it when you watch the game? And I'm thinking, that's not fun. I, I want to hear the crowd. want to hear right? the crowd, right? Yeah, so they're talking about even pumping in artificial applause and cheering for certain plays for the fans. I don't know if this will actually happen, but it's not, I don't know how that's going to help the players. Wait, wait, TV sitcoms have been doing that since the 1950s, so. <laughs> but they got good at it, Neil. Imagine you've got booing at the wrong time, applause at the wrong time. You've got someone who's not syncing the soundtrack with the picture. <laughs> uh, that's the game I want to watch. <laughs> I want to watch that game where the home team is booing their own players. You know? I that's... used to come to come of my games when I played. <laughs> wait, wait, Toby, there was another very short, I'm a little older than you, I think. There was a, an experiment. I think it was conducted in the 1970s did NBC do it, where they decided to broadcast a game? I think, was it a, a football or a baseball game, with no announcers? Ooh. As oh, though I heard you, about this. As yeah. though you, say, so you had to read it in your history books. <laughs> <laughs> I was alive in the 70s, but... <laughs> as but though by you, the way, Toby, they were still wearing leather helmets. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your TV experience would be as though you were live at the game without having someone always chattering at you. And so, but if that's, if that's too far back in the history books for you, uh, you won't have a comment on it. But it just seemed like another odd difference in how the game is being relayed to the fan. Yeah, no, and I think, look, during this time, I think you're going to see a lot of experimentation, right? They, they need to get fans reengaged. So one, one option is you may have, suppose the NBA says we're all going to play in Las Vegas and all the players are going to be quarantined there for months. I don't know how they're going to do this, but let's suppose that happens. You may have all the other players attending all the games. Maybe instead of fans cheering, what you're doing is posting down at the bottom of the screen Twitter feeds from LeBron and from others who are commenting right. on what's going on on the court. You need something else to get people engaged. Another, you know, to, 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 I just realized you said something so obvious that was, was oblivious to me. If you bring every NBA player to one place, you quarantine them for two weeks so you know they don't have the virus, then they are a virus-free community. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you restrict their travel and access of others to them, then they can just run the entire season, you're right, in one location. With Maybe you need a couple of stadiums or a couple of arenas, but then nothing stops it at that point. And then they become the fans for their own teams. That's right. <laughs> for their, for and their and teams. as a basketball fan, I would love to hear LeBron comment on whatever you know Damian Lillard did that game. I mean, that would be interesting, right? Uh, yeah, and and, and then, then you're going to have a bunch of guys hating on, you know, they're going <laughs> to, players they like, they're going to say it's good, and the players they don't, it's all going to be more entertaining. In a way that is. In a way it is more entertaining, you know? It's just, I like, mean, I, okay, so that itself becomes a reality TV show. Yes, 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 Gary. In theory, perfect, but this is, this is the NBA herding billionaire cats. And as we've seen from the last dance, Dennis oh. Rodman wants to go to Vegas for 58 hours, 60 hours, five days. He goes. Nothing Michael Jordan can do about it. Um, I, I just think everything has to be perfect. The catering staff, the laundry service, Every aspect of locking down these teams in, a, in an environment has to be thematic. You cannot allow anything in. Well, you know what you could do instead? Instead of the entire season, I mean, what you could do is kind of a March Madness. Yes. So instead of having an entire season, 
and you turn the season into kind of a tournament. Whoa, very good. And, and then it's, and, a, it's an abbreviated season. And it's an abbreviated season, but with the... But you have the intensity that you with, want. Right, but now I don't ever want to miss a game. Let's be honest. You know, I, I love the NBA. I watch when the playoffs start. I mean, if I happen to catch a game, I'll happen to catch a game. You know, and I'm a huge Sixers fan, but I'm not interested until the playoffs start. You know, so Toby, is this something that you can recommend? I mean, do you do, do they do you have an do they have an ear for you? In, in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that I don't I, I don't think so. Although I may know somebody who has, they, have, they have an ear for, but that's an interesting idea, Chuck. I mean, I actually, think that's a that would be very exciting. And look, just have a, a single elimination tournament. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Forget the season. Cool. Who, who needs the whole season? Yeah. Just get in there right now. Yeah, There's let no me tell question you. people would watch. There's no question players would, would be up for it. it. Right. Um, and and the cool thing is that so you want to talk about the quarantine, you actually mitigate the chances of the spread of the virus because when a team is eliminated, they leave now. You don't have to worry about them. It's like you're gone, buddy. So you know, but you could do like little mini series instead of one single game eliminations. You could do mini series as a part of the tournament. And and then move the, from the mini series goes to single game and then to playoffs, you know. So so, so I think we solved this. We did, we yeah. just did it right here on Star Talk. And if you yeah. want to create create more revenue, add, add gambling to it. Uh, there you go. March yeah. Madness is the Absolutely. biggest uh, betting. Uh, you know, the Vegas has missed four hundred million from March Madness just in March. You know, from we'll March get alone. Back in one week. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right now. The highest betting thing is a uh, Russian ping pong, Russian table tennis. It's the only Ooh. thing you can bet on. <laughs> no way! Wow! Wow! That is that is sad and pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it's not even Chinese table tennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, Toby, thanks for staying in this third segment yeah. and 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 chewing the fat with us. No, we don't call it that. What are we supposed to call it? We call it shoot the shit. Shoot the oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having Really enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. And Gary, uh, always good to have yeah. you and Chuck on this. And you've been uh, listening to and we hope even watching Star Talk Sports Edition. Sports in the Coronaverse. I am Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, bidding you to keep looking up. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.